Good morning, this is Nick Augustine here with Mark Scroggins at Scroggins Law Group with offices in Frisco, Plano, and Dallas. And today we are talking about property division in high stakes divorce cases in Texas. Let's say hello to Mark Scroggins. Hey Nick, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. I'm looking forward to answering some questions that people might have about property division when they have a complex marital estate, lots of properties, investments, assets, things all over the place. Right. Um, and we need to start figuring out what we do. So um, especially when we have some people who live here in North Texas that have grown up or moved here from other areas, uh, divorce is made to be different in Texas. We do right. things our own special way. Yeah, Texas is one of the you know one of the few states that is a community property state, and a lot of people hear that term community property, and they think that means fifty fifty division, and it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, you know, the more money there is, the closer to a fifty fifty division there's going to be. Okay, mm. regardless of fault and all that, but I'm talking when there's serious money. You know, ten million dollars. You know, maybe a little less than that. I mean court's going to pretty much divide it 50-50. But when you start getting into lesser amounts, um, you know, typically there's going to be a disparate division. Somebody's going to get more and somebody's going to get less. And it's going to be based on a whole bunch of different things. It can be based on the fault bases uh, that, you know, are very rarely relied on anymore, like, you know, infidelity, cruel treatment, abandonment, uh, you know, locked up in a mental hospital, those types of things. Uh the biggest one is disparity in earning capacity. You know, if somebody's been a stay-at-home mom, um, you know, and dad's been a high wage earner out there the whole time, uh, she's typically going to get more because it, you know, it's going to take her a while to get up to speed and back into the workforce. And dad's going to be, you know, having a higher standard of living than he ever did, generally within a period of three to four years. Mm -hmm. so. That was always the thing when they talked about the, you know, the, the wife supporting the husband while the husband is going through school and right. life into school and all that. And right. that whole contribution. A lot of people, I think, understand that. But what about debt? A lot of people want to know about that too. So we're going to divide our assets. What about the debt? Are we deciding who gets what or is it just the same where our debt is our debt? No, it's, uh, I mean, it's community as long as, it, so here's, here's the thing. When I say it's community, the presumption in Texas is that everything you and your spouse own is community. Okay. It, it, the, um, the burden shifts to any person who is wanting to say that a debt is separate or that an asset is separate. So let's talk about what is separate. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is separate property and the significance of that? Um, the significance of it is that a court cannot divide the party's separate property. The court can only divide the community property. Okay. So separate property in this context is what you own prior to marriage. It's anything that you have inherited. It is anything you have received by gift, or if you've had a personal injury uh, settlement that is related to pain and suffering, that is also separate property. And so that means that is yours. It can't be divided unless those funds are hopelessly commingled with community funds. So if you got $200,000 from a car wreck case, you know, you were pretty jacked up in a car wreck and it's all related to pain and suffering mm -hmm. and you put $200,000 and then, you know, uh, a few weeks later, uh, you and your spouse get a scratch off game and win $200,000 and y'all deposit that in there. And that's sitting there for a period of five years and y'all have been using that account and buying and selling and buying and selling and buying and selling. Guess what? You're probably hopelessly commingled 
on some stuff. Now there is what is called community out first rule, which means that in Texas, unless you have, you know, specific documentation that's going to state otherwise, uh, then the monies that would have been pulled out of that, uh, that account would have been community. Okay. So generally what we do in that regard is we bring in a certified public accountant, forensic certified public accountant. who's going to do some tracing to figure out, you know, what's community and, and what is, what is separate property. So I kind of digress there. So let me go back. We talk about the, the separate property and why that's so significant. And then the reason being, because what is set, what is not separate is community and what is community can be divided. All right. So there we go. Very simple. Very good. That, that'll be the, <laughs> so if we're doing our bar exam answer, we'll do that first and then get it back and then draw it around and hook around loop and got it. All right. So when we're looking at where our forensic, well, actually, let me back up. Question I was thinking, do people, when someone has an inheritance, how often do you see people who say, I'm not sure what's going to happen in life. What should I do to preserve the separate nature of some of this property? Or is that going to lead to a divorce? Because my spouse isn't going to like that too much. Yeah, uh, it could. I mean, but, you know, I think I would be less concerned about that. If someone's going to get all uptight about it, then that lets you know that they're probably thinking in that regard anyway. But I mean, what you should do is you should put that in a separate account that is in your name only. Mm -hmm. Do not, <coughs> excuse me, give your spouse, uh, you know, any rights on that account and uh, do not put other funds in it. Do not do anything with it. I mean, you can invest it and that's fine. Um, but you need to be careful on how you invest. That's a whole nother thing getting into, you know, royalties and different things, depending on what the investments are and, and, you know, income that's derived from that. Cause some of the income that's, that's derived could be depending on what the investment could, could turn into, uh, community, um, typically does not though. Uh, so anyway, you want to put it in an account that is in your name and your name alone. If you did something you put it in an account that is in both of y'all's names, you can run into a presumption that you just gifted some of it to the community estate. Right. So when we talk about some of the income opportunities you can you do with money and asset, you know, if you win the lottery and get $200,000, I might want to invest that into a business and do a partial business you know, opportunity. Um, you know, just, you know, office space, all sorts of different things out there. Sure. People are looking for investors. So if I do do that, you know, we have some complex issues and you talked about our forensic accountants friends for uh, tracing and that may come up later if we talk about dissipation a little bit. But when we look at, you know, complex assets and family owned businesses where our spouse may be on the board of directors, I mean, it gets pretty complicated and forensic accountant might be one of other people who might get involved. So what would, what would someone expect to, as a process? And I mean, just what would it look like when they've got someone comes to you and they say, you know, Mark, this stuff is all over the place. Well, it, de it depends. First of all, I mean, so let's talk about, I was on the phone with, with someone today and they've got six different business interests. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where do you start on that? One is the question, okay, were all the businesses started during the pendency of the marriage? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then you know that those are all community interests. Okay. Then the question goes, you know, so a lot of people say, oh, but those aren't in my name. 
those are in my husband's name or those are in my wife's name. If they're created during the pendency of the divorce or pendency of the marriage, it doesn't matter. It's community, whether it's in your name, her name, or both of your names. Which applies to the house, too. That's exactly right. Does not matter. Does not matter. Right. Okay. So then you go through looking at, you know, doing a business valuation and figuring out what it's worth. And uh, what I will tell you is that if there's debt on the business, so you asked about how do we divide debt? Is it basically the same? Yes, although the debt typically follows the asset too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got a business that's worth, you know, a million dollars, uh, but it's got $750,000 of debt on it. Uh, that debt is going to follow the asset. Okay. You're not going to, it's not going to be divided out. That's just not going to happen. Okay. So, so there are a whole bunch of different things that you're going to look at. First is, you know, identifying what all of them are and the character of them. And then, you can figure it out with when tracing comes into play. Um, that's where you're going to bring a CPA in who's going to you know go in and look at the books and there are a whole bunch of different things that they're going to look at, including the community out first rule. And, um, you know, you you end up in a situation where down payments made on the house and spouse says, oh, well, I got a check from from my mom. And so the fifty thousand dollars we put down on it was actually a gift. So that's my separate property. Okay. Well, so you're going to look at, you know, what is, what is mama going to testify to? First thing you want to do is look at the check. Who was the check made out to? Mm-hmm. Was the check made out to daughter? Was the check made out to daughter and son-in-law? Okay. Because then you've got an issue of, it looks like gift to both. Uh, so there are a whole bunch of different factors. I mean, the, the best thing to do is if you have some of these issues, reach out and talk to a board certified family lawyer who can, who, first of all, knows what questions to ask, right? Uh, and then can walk you through the process of okay, here's what you need to, what you need to do, and it's the same thing if you inherit something or if you've got, you know, a personal injury settlement or um, uh, one of those types of scenarios. What do I have to do to make sure that this does not end up uh, being commingled and that I cannot pull it out at a later date? Right. And some of the complexity also comes when we think about. Yeah, we have our assets that we can touch, see our tangibles, cars, houses, properties, but we also have retirement accounts right. and pensions and all sorts of things there that also get pretty complicated. They can, I mean, but you know, it, it's the same, it's the same thing as far as dividing any other asset. I mean, so what you find happens more often in a 401k type situation is that you might divide it based on a percentage instead of an actual dollar amount. Right. And the reason being this, let's say that you, you know, you're going through the divorce process. Y'all go to um, mediation and you sign a mediated settlement agreement. Well, let's say that uh, you divide a million dollar 401k. Okay. So you say that, um, or actually, let's say that it's, you know, 1.1 or something like that. Okay. And you're doing that based on, you know, all these other numbers, right? In figuring out how that factors into whatever the division is going to be. If you say that you just, you're taking $500,000 out of that when maybe you're saying that I'm going to take 49% of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's say that then there's a big fluctuation and that the value of that retirement account goes to from one, one to one, three, or let's say it drops to 800, you know, 
it really queers the deal bad, really badly. And once you have signed an MSA, you're stuck. Okay. That's on you and the lawyer for not doing the job properly in, in that situation. So that's why when I am dividing retirement accounts, I am typically going to do something unless it's an odd situation, but I'm typically going to do something that is a percentage so that you are, you are basing it on, um, that number. And so that both you and the other party are protected, so to speak on valuation. If it goes down, well, you both get screwed. If it, if it goes up, okay, you both win. What's a valuation date most people can expect? Would it be the date the MSA is signed and entered or the divorce decree date? Well, it could be either. I mean, typically, I think most people do MSA dates. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to do that more often, uh, but it depends, you know, and it doesn't all have to be at the time of the MSA. Let's say, you know, because there, there are lots of times where there's going to be a cash payment made. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, in these, in these high dollar cases, let's say mom keeps her, she's got a successful consulting business. Okay. And so it's created during dependency and she needs to make a $600,000 payment to dad, you know, out of it. Well, she ain't going to pay that $600,000 on the date the MSA is signed or a day after. Typically, you're going to fund that on the date of divorce. Okay. It just makes sure that everybody keeps playing nice and doing what you need to do to get the final decree entered. And a lot of times in, in these high, in these types of cases where there are a lot of, there's a lot of property, um, I very rarely include that in a divorce decree. I typically will do that in an agreement incident to divorce. Right. Significance of that being that the AID is not filed with the court. So, you know, if you're a, if you're fairly well known, if you have lots of assets and you don't want, because all of this is public record, somebody can Which go in. Which terrifies people. Exactly. So what you do is, you know, you file the final decree of divorce, but you have an agreement incident to divorce. Right. And what the, the divorce decree does is it adopts the, the terms of the AID by reference. Okay. And so it has the same effect, but you have hidden all of this information from public view. People don't want to know what paintings you have, you know, what they're worth, whether you have, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, you think, you know, think about, uh, you know, if, if Jerry Jones ever got, you know, got divorced, what that divorce, if you put all that crap in a divorce decree, what it would look like, you know, I mean, there's no way in hell you want that hanging out there with everybody seeing all that stuff because there's, you know, you talk about all the fraud and stuff that happens now. All you've got to do is go in and, you know, do a search for, you know, wealthy individuals who get divorced and go in and look at the divorce decrees. If, if it's in there, it's pretty good place to see that you've got, well, I've got, you know, 18 different accounts at, you know, Charles Schwab and at Merrill Lynch yeah. and you know, right, exactly, you know, and it makes you a target for a lot of people too, for litigation and all sorts of other things. That's right. You know, and what happens if Jerry Jones does do what JJ Watt suggested and he repurchases Whataburger, right? You know, now we know that, I mean, that makes it a very, it's a very high profile thing, you know, right. so exactly as we're all getting through our days, you know, after that news. So exactly prayers for all. Um, all right. Meanwhile, some of the things you talk, let's, let's go back to the idea of the, uh, that $50,000 gift from mom. What happens when we have, um, 
you know, we've purchased a lot of people buy condos out of state. Right. Um, and they have them as they're also investments. You know, you've got right. a company doing the thing and the renters are coming and going. And so, um, and a friend of mine was telling me about their family and they bought a place in, uh, I think Orange Beach, Alabama. Right. And so what happens when we've got things, I mean, because you know, we've got a different state now, right. is, how's that going to affect us in our Texas divorce? Well, I mean, a Texas court does not have jurisdiction over the property in another state, but they do have jurisdiction over the individuals before the court. So the court can order something sold in another state. They're not going to be able to force the sale, but they can sure as hell penalize someone who doesn't do what they are ordered to do. Mm-hmm. So that's basically it. Okay. But uh, you can also, you can take some things. I mean, there, there are ways to execute. Okay. So that's just talking about what the Texas court can do. Right. Okay. If you've got a divorce decree and it states that they are ordered to sell um, as, as part of that, can you then in turn take that judgment, register the judgment Full credit, all exactly that. in Alabama to then go and force the sale? Right. Well, yes, you'd have to get a lawyer there. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, you got additional steps, but you know, it doesn't, lots of people used to think that that was, oh gosh, we can't, we're going to be screwed. We can't do, yeah, you can't, right. you know, where you run into problems are when you're talking about foreign, uh, foreign countries that um, that have very uh, very tight privacy laws when it comes to banking, the Cayman Islands, the Isle of uh, Isle of Man, uh, you know there are a number of others in the Caribbean. So, complex international things also could include India or things where the properties. Like held in trust for the grandchildren by the grandparents. Right. The, there's all sorts. Of, I've seen all sorts of interesting things. So. Well, and those are that's so. The problem there is more in the is less on the exit. Well, the execution would be difficult anyway. So it's it's typically going to stay with whoever that whoever owns the account. Yeah. The real issue is discovering what there is mm-hmm. in it. Because of those, because of those banking laws, and what the court is willing to do, if you discover them, to to force, you know, the uh, the information out into view, and sort of maybe filter things down into you have an interest in this, you have an interest in this. We know we're not going to be able to force a sale of that, but we're going to say its value is this. We're going to you know kind of move things around and make it all equal and just and right 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 correct so that people may run into when they're looking for information on this concept of just and right Mm -hmm. um, when it talks about property division Um, and some people say does just and right also mean does does just and right mean 50 50 no okay no it means just and right. Right. So what does that mean? It means 50-50? No, it means just and right, but we don't really it's know. It's subjective. Okay. It's very subjective. Right. Okay, so all those things that that we talked about before with the... Um, so Texas has a no-fault basis for divorce, just like every other state, okay? In Texas, it's called insupportability, mm-hmm. all right? You still have on the books all of those fault bases for divorce, infidelity, cruel treatment, abandonment, confinement in a mental hospital, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now, you also have bad actions, so to speak, okay? Um, someone's got a drug or alcohol problem. Someone just, their judgment, the lap, you know, is is in question. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, wasting of community assets, you right. know, they have dissipation. They, yeah, yeah. Gambling problems, mm-hmm. you know, sex addiction. If, if the kids works, but all kinds of different stuff. And the biggest one being disparity in earning capacity. Mm-hmm. So take all of that stuff, put it into your mixing bowl along with all the different assets, mix that up and then figure out what the just and right division is. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. I mean, so, you know, Texas is not a state like, you know, you hear people that write on the internet, oh, she took everything. Well, that doesn't happen in Texas, okay? It just doesn't. I mean, you know, could you see a 60-40 split? Yeah. I mean, in rare cases, could you see a little more than that? Yeah. I in saw rare, in rare, rare cases. cases. I saw one that came out. It was in my email on one yeah. of the, you know, things that was just decided. And it was bad. The facts were bad. Yeah. You know, the I wife mean, was happy to be out of there alive in one piece. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you can see, you can see some of those really crazy things. They are one-offs. Okay. Yeah. They are the exception, not the rule. Right. And everyone okay? seems to think about that one. Anomaly right. and seems to apply it to everything. And, and like I like I mentioned before, the more money there is, mm-hmm. regardless of fault or anything else, the closer to a fifty fifty division mm-hmm. it is going to be. So when you hear one of these that was really crazy, generally it's going to have involved some horrific family violence. Uh, it's also going to probably involve where somebody defaulted on something and they're coming back in through the appellate process to try to get back in there and have done some hiding of community assets, some wasting of community assets. So you've got a reconstituted estate. So in other words, so that our listeners understand what I'm talking about. If you've got a million dollar estate, okay. And dad takes half a million dollars and is paying hookers around the world and taking them on trips you've got a waste claim of half a million dollars. So what the court can do is the court can create a reconstituted estate, take all that half a million dollars that was that was spent on hookers and drugs and travel and put it back into the estate. So it is a it is an academic fiction yeah. or a legal fiction, okay? Right. So now he says, okay, there's a million dollars here. So I'm giving wife the half million dollars that is still here. So what in effect just happened? She got it all. That's right. Because there is a reconstituted estate based on this waste claim. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of things where you see this. So, I mean, it's crazy. Or where there have been horrible, horrible um, marital torts. You know, dad's, I use the hooker example again. Mm -hmm. Dad's going out there, he's got a sex addiction, is, you know, servicing plenty of hookers and gets a, you know, gets herpes, AIDS, you know, a bunch of different STDs and gives them to mom. Okay. Those are situations where you might get something that is really out of the norm. Right. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. It is really crazy, unusual. Okay. If you just have the, he's an asshole. No, she's an asshole kind of thing. (laughs) You know, going to be more in our 50-50. You're going to be, or somewhere in that range of, you know, high-end, really, really Mm high-end 60-40, or somewhere between there and 50-50. So you've got this this play, but it ain't going to be huge. What do some of the judges, or how do they, well, 
when someone tells you, I really want to go after a fault-based claim and I want to go after a disparate Division. split here, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it may seem something that may to the judge seem somewhat petty. Uh-huh. Other people might see it as petty, but it's important to this person and legitimately, I mean, that's, that's their, that's their life. It's their, you know, right. it's subjective. Um, sometimes it can be chasing up a hill and the steep, the, you know, the slope keeps getting steeper and the amount of money it's going to take and the judge is annoyed and it's a whole big hearing process. Um, what are some of the obstacles when someone's trying to decide? Because maybe they talked, maybe they know someone who pled a fault based on say, I understand that Texas mm-hmm. is no fault state, but this is an option. We can do it. Um, well, it doesn't mean that, yeah, it definitely doesn't mean that you can't do it. You absolutely can. The question is, what's the value? Okay. So what's the value? So I can tell you, and a lot of people don't, don't like this. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone had an affair. Well, then I ought to get, I ought to get it all. You know, my, my wife had an affair. So what? Okay. Yeah. That was bad. But tell me where the, where the kids made aware of that? Did, did the kids know where, was she missing things because she was out with, with her boyfriend? Uh, or, you know, if the answer is no, the court's kind of like, eh, okay, that's really crappy. You know, shouldn't have happened. But what is that worth? You know, in my experience, maybe it's a percentage point. Maybe it's two percentage points, unless it is just really bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, generally, if the kids aren't subjected to it, um, you know, it isn't going to affect your child custody stuff. Is it going to affect the division? Yeah, but in a very minor way. What is a much, much bigger factor is disparity in earning capacity. Right. That's the big one. And if you think that you're going to penalize the lower income earning spouse by claiming all of these things and mm-hmm. going for the moon, sun, and the stars, and I'm going to bury her in litigation, I'm going to bury him in litigation, and they're not going to be able to breathe because they don't have the money to pay for it and all this. I mean, that's just not... It could be a dif- seems like a difficult. Well, case. that can be that yeah. can be um, that can be a problem. But I mean, even you got to be careful what you what you ask for there, because typically, if you're the high wage earner, yeah. you're paying for uh, you're paying for a big chunk of the attorney's fees, because most of the time the you know the attorney's fees are going to be paid out of the community estate. Right. Both both parents, the high wage earner and the low wage earner are entitled to use of the community funds, mm-hmm. okay? It is unfortunate that it seems like some judges forget about that, and they shouldn't. They should be ashamed of themselves if they do. Um, but there are plenty of high wage earners that then they go and they make, you know, a ton of money, and all of a sudden their spending goes up. And so the judge doesn't hold them accountable for that, which is abysmal, Yeah, you know? But a good judge will. Right. A good judge will and will for, you know, they'll be sitting there paying for it. So it's like if you're paying the other, the other side's fees as well. And you're battling them with extra litigation. Right. You're doing, you're screwing yourself. Right. You know, I mean, what was it? Nietzsche had a comment about, uh, you know, the, someone in the adversarial process has, uh, has an interest in the survival of their adversary. Right. So it's just kind of, you know, fighting for the sake of fighting. 
I mean, here's the thing that, you know, my, people hire lawyers for their advice. Okay. And this is my, this is my suggestion to both lawyer and client. Okay. Client hires lawyer for their advice. If you are, as the lawyer, giving the best advice you can, understand that it is the client's case. They get to make whatever decisions they want to make. But if they continue to ignore your advice, you are probably better off withdrawing from the case yeah. and let them find somebody else because they're not going to be happy come the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you as the client want to do something a certain way and your, your lawyer is telling you, I'm not going to do that, I can't do that, blah, 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 you are better off getting rid of them and hiring somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't come around to seeing the reason they are telling you this. Okay. So, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. You know, you, there are all kinds of fights you can have, but the question is to what end and for what purpose? What about the battle over, and it doesn't have to be a battle, but over specific pieces of property. Right. And I can remember something that I worked on many years ago where Husband wanted the boat. Wife wanted the boat. So husband couldn't have the boat. Neither of them wanted it sold. It was literally over who's going to where was going to park the boat. And then there was a painting involved. And there's a whole list of assets. And then there's a videographer there making sure that you only take what's on the list for you to take. Right. You know, unfortunately, uh, those are difficult. I mean, so what? Where I see. I don't like to I don't like to put a boat and a painting into the pots and pans category, but there are um, there are definitely the things toaster. that yeah there are definitely things that I put into the pots and pans. Basically anything you've got in the house, okay. So unless you've got artwork that has significant value, and when I say significant, I'm not talking three, four, five thousand dollars, okay. I'm talking twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars, something mm -hmm. like that. It's just not worth fighting over right. that much. I mean, you can't let someone get totally totally lopsided. But where I see this more is, you know, all assets of equal value do not have the same value to the respective parties. So if you've got someone um, that's been a stay-at-home mom, okay, and she's getting ready to re-enter the workforce, <coughs> and dad has always been this high wage earner, and you've got <coughs> two assets that are each half a million apiece, okay? You've got an investment account, or let's just say a retirement account that's half a million, and you've got a savings account that has half a million. Well, which which does mom want? They have the same value, right? Mm. Okay, but she wants the liquidity of the savings account, you know, to create the cushion and all that. If you take the investment account, what what happens there? We're going to hit get hit with taxes if you liquidate it. Okay, if you're lucky enough and you've got certain long-term stocks that you have held, you know, you have capital gains tax, which is typically going to be less. Um, but if not, you've got, you know, your regular taxes. If you turn around and liquidate a retirement account, you pay your regular taxes and a 10% penalty. So, I mean, that's horrible. That doesn't do anything for you. So it's real important to analyze the different assets and what do you want and what do you need and what can you afford so that, like I said, you know, no two assets of the same value do not necessarily have the same value. A uh, common phrase from, <coughs> from you mm -hmm. is put your pride in your pocket. Yeah. And I think that that's a discussion that 
is to be had sometimes, especially when someone like yourself, who's board certified family law and family law has been doing this for quite a while, right. has seen how bad it can get and how negative and how sometimes, you know, putting the brakes on and finding our bottom line earlier is putting us all in a better spot. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's great when you have the ability to do that. Okay. It's not easy to do that. I mean, you know, people don't generally walk into a divorce going, Hey, everything's hunky dory. You know, if it was, they wouldn't be getting a divorce. Uh, I have seen cases though, where, you know, I think of one a number of years ago where we filed and it was a real high, um, very high end divorce with significant business interests and lots of other property things. And we got the whole thing done and, you know, inside of 60 days, we did, uh, informal settlement or, or I should say informal discovery. And there wasn't any game playing that, you know, some yahoos out there like to do. It was full disclosure on everything here. Tell us what you need. You know, here, here's everything. And I mean, binders upon binders upon binders of right. all this information. And then we went into a mediation that took damn near 24 hours to get done and papered up. And, uh, but we got it all done and it was all signed, sealed, delivered by day 60. Some of the so, best lawyering doesn't happen in a courtroom. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so it all can be done, but it takes both parties yeah. willingness to do that. And so, you know, I will tell every client that I hope that your spouse goes out and hires the best lawyer they can afford because odds are I know them. Uh, odds are I have worked with them. Or if I don't on either one of those cases, that if they are a good board certified lawyer, we are going to be able to look at, we'll be able to resolve this, 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 and this. We might need a little help from the court on this. Right. Okay. And... <clears throat> There is no reason to waste time, money, and effort in fighting about some of that other stuff. If you know, here's what the range is, okay? You could end up with this out of this million. You could end up with on one side, the low end, 400. You could end up with 525. So there's the range, okay? That's what the likeliness, likelihood is of something happening. Mm -hmm. Well, so why do you want to sit there and spend 150000 over that? Right, to get the 525 when you could have had the 400. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Fuller did uh, a CLE a number of years ago, and he made a reference to a pie, mm. okay? The marital state being a pie. Like and that. and here is 50% of what this pie is right now, okay? Well, now you've litigated. They, they turn that down, and you go and litigate like crazy, and, you know, 300000 has been spent. <laughs> right. So now the pie it's not much is smaller, right. okay? So here's 50% of that pie still. You can have it. Do you want it? You know, and that is a great analogy. The number doesn't change. It just decreases. Yeah. You know, it doesn't change and get bigger. You know, it, it just doesn't. So you've got to, you've got to think long and hard what the purpose is for your fight. Now on, so if you've got real, real, um, Disparity of positions on the characterization of property, that's worth fighting for if it is a significant asset, okay? Is something separate property or is it of mix? Mm -hmm. You know, is part of it 
uh, part of it separate and part of its community. If that is a sizable asset, you bet your ass that is absolutely worth fighting for. On child custody matters, if you have you know serious reasons to be fighting about that, is there a reason to spend the money and fight for that? Absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. However, if you've got If you've got property that it's pretty clear, this is community and here's what the value is. And here's, you know, we've got a little asterisk over here for something that we've got to deal with. Do a cost cost benefit analysis. I mean, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend 150 to get 70. Right. <laughs> you know, and you don't doesn't. want to walk away with what you get and always feel stupid for not putting your pride in your ego aside and putting your emotions up for a minute and um, just, you know, having a business sense about it. Well, and here's the, you know, here, here's one other thing about that is if this is a divorce and there are kids involved, okay, you are tied together forever. Yep. People think that, oh, well, just till I'm 18 or the kids are 18. Nope. Because you got college and you've got weddings and you've got grandkids and all that stuff. So you are tied to that person forever. So while you might not like that person, you're going to deal with them, yeah. whether you like it or not. And your children and your children's children are going to deal with both of y'all. And so think about how that impacts your kids and your grandkids going forward before you start slinging shit. Right, because how you do during your divorce is how you're going to do during the rest of things. And you're teaching, you're especially teaching the kids, you know, this is not, I mean, how do you live? How do you live a good life? Parents as role models. You want your kids to be as best they can be. Right. So shout a good example. Absolutely. 100% agree. All right. For people who want to find out more information about property division, they have questions about business assets, spouses on the board, all these good complex things. Uh, what's a good way to be in touch and what should they do? Uh, you can always give us a call here at uh, Scroggins Law Group at 214-369. Uh, I'm sorry, 469 <laughs> 3100. Uh, or you can send me an email directly, mark at scrogginslawgroup.com. All right, very good. And we thank you all for listening and sharing this information with someone you know who might be going through some similar issues or is contemplating divorce or is wondering what's going to happen to their separate or community assets. Again, this is Nick Augustine with Mark Scroggins at Scroggins Law Group with offices in Frisco, Plano, and Dallas, serving Denton, Collin, and Dallas counties. That's right. We thank you all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you much.